Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Welcome to San Francisco City Insider, the San Francisco Chronicle podcast on the people and politics making headlines in the city by the bay. I'm Chronicle columnist Heather Knight, and I'm here today with Thomas Wolfe. He was a married father of two and a homeowner in Daly City when he became addicted to painkillers. That led to a heroin addiction and becoming homeless on the sidewalks of the Tenderloin. He's in recovery now and has been appointed to City Hall's new task force on street-level drug dealing. We're talking today about where San Francisco is going wrong when it comes to addressing its huge drug crisis. Thomas Wolf, welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you for having me. So you know probably more than most San Franciscans um, what it's like to go through this drug crisis that is so apparent to all of us as we walk around downtown, but you've actually gone through it yourself, and I appreciate you being here today to tell your story. Um, Can you talk about uh, when this started and how it got started for you? Yeah, uh, about five years ago, I actually had foot surgery, and I was prescribed oxycodone for the pain in in my recovery from surgery, and uh, it didn't take long before I became addicted to those Mm -hmm. pills, and uh, I quickly ran out. Uh, begged my doctor for a refill, got a refill, ate those up within a week. Those were 10 milligram oxycodone tablets. And then from there, I started seeking them out on the street. Mm-hmm. Where would you go? I went to the Tenderloin, to Golden Gate and Leavenworth, a.k.a. Pill Hill. Oh. And I was able to find a variety of different uh, opioids and painkillers available uh, mm-hmm. for sale there. Was it easy to get? Pretty easy to get, uh, other than the occasional hustle from uh-huh. someone selling you fake pills. Uh, other than that, most times I had no problem. And then once I found one consistent dealer, I just went and continued to go back to that person and mm-hmm. they had a consistent supply. How often were you going there? Uh, every two days, more or less. Uh, and at the peak of my addiction, which grew over a couple of years, uh, when I was peaking, I was taking 550 to 600 milligrams of oxycodone a day, which would kill most people. Wow. But you survived. I survived somehow. Wow. I feel you build up a tolerance to it. Uh-huh. So it, it became a necessity uh, with the addiction. And uh, I started funneling all of my money towards that. I was hiding um, the financial problems from my wife. Uh, I stopped paying my mortgage. I would take my almost my entire paycheck and use that to purchase the oxycodone pills. And over the course of two, two and a half years, I probably spent $100,000 on pills. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then when my wife kind of figured out what was going on um, and cut me off, basically, I crossed the street. I went down to Golden Gate and Hyde, and I started purchasing heroin, which was much, much cheaper. Mm-hmm. And this whole time you had been living a pretty, you know, quote, unquote, normal life. You owned a home in Daly City, married, two kids. You That's actually right. worked for the city of San Francisco. That's right. I worked for the city and county of San Francisco for nine years as mm-hmm. a child support officer. Mm-hmm. And prior to that, I worked for the county of San Mateo. So I had you know, pretty much a slice of the American pie. I was a homeowner, cars, married for 20 years with mm-hmm. two kids, uh, just kind of your normal, everyday, middle-class guy living in Daly City. Mm-hmm. And when this happened, were your friends and family shocked? I mean, did this 
it seem like kind of out of nowhere for you or? Sure. It, I mean, it was a shock. It, you know, the thing with addiction is addiction is a gradual progression. Mm -hmm. So as my life got worse, I started manipulating my family, my wife, my kids, anyone basically that I could get money from to purchase drugs. And that continued to grow and grow over the course of several years until mm -hmm. I was a full-blown heroin addict. Mm -hmm. And uh, and then it, at a certain point early last year, um, in January of last year, my wife basically gave me an option to either go to rehab or to leave the home. And I unfortunately chose to leave the home because the addiction was too strong. Mm -hmm. And then you were actually homeless. I was actually homeless. I was sleeping on the street on the 300 block of Golden Gate Avenue between Hyde and Larkin. Mm -hmm. And what was that like? You obviously got an up-close perspective on homelessness in the, in the city. Yeah, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't very comfortable sleeping on a piece of cardboard or sleeping a lot of times in a crouch as opposed to lying down. I didn't have a pillow. I didn't have a sleeping bag. I didn't have a tent. I just had a couple of jackets and a hoodie mm -hmm. and the clothes that I was wearing on my back and, uh, and a piece of cardboard to separate me from the concrete. Wow. And where would you eat? Uh, I would eat one time a day, sometimes two times a day. Uh, it depends on how much money I could hustle or what I could do to get drugs. So in the morning, sometimes I would walk over to Glide and have breakfast there. Mm -hmm. uh, or sometimes I'd go to St. Anthony's for lunch. But most of the time I was eating one time per day. Mm -hmm. And was any money coming in or how were you buying your drugs? So I was buying my drugs a couple of different ways. At first, I was on G GA. I was receiving $521 a month plus food stamps. And I was spending all of that, all of it, not Part of it, mm -hmm. not 20%, but 100% of that on drugs. Heroin Primarily heroin, mm -hmm. uh, crack, cocaine, mm -hmm. and then later on fentanyl towards the end. Mm -hmm. uh, and then when that wasn't enough, as my habit grew and my addiction grew and grew and grew, I was um, I started holding drugs for the hunter and drug dealers that are out here in the tenderloin. Mm -hmm. And they would pay me to hold their stash for them in heroin and in crack. So mm -hmm. at that point, I had discovered a way to support my drug habit. Wow. And what did you learn about the dealers? Uh, quite a bit. Quite a bit about them. Um, so there's a there's kind of a – and I, we talked about this before, mm -hmm. that there's kind of a, a, like a borderline. Uh, on one side of Golden Gate and Hyde, you have a lot of dealers selling pills and whatnot. And on the other side, it's primarily the Honduran drug dealers that are selling heroin. And that goes all the way up Hyde Street up to Eddy and across Eddy over to Van Ness mm -hmm. and then on down to Civic Center as well and now south of Market. Um, they're all uh, undocumented that mm -hmm. I'm aware of. Uh, many of them have families back in Honduras. Some of them have families here. Um, they get to keep a percentage. They give a percentage to, to someone else that I don't know who. Mm -hmm. uh, and then they wire a lot of that money home to Honduras. I know this because I've seen them uh, show me pictures on their phones mm -hmm. of homes that they're having built in Honduras for their families and whatnot, trying to improve their overall quality of life. And the irony is that they have been exploited by being brought up here to sell these drugs, but in turn, they're also exploiting others here by selling death, basically. Mm -hmm. We've written about federal authorities looking into this drug ring, and it appears that the drugs are being brought from Mexico and that... Um, the operators of this ring are providing housing in East Bay for these people from Honduras who then then give them the drugs. They come in usually on BART to Civic Center Station and sell around the neighborhood. So that, that it's a very accurate. organized operation. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That would be accurate. Yeah. yeah. I know a lot of the dealers lived in the East Bay in Oakland primarily. And they didn't appear to be using. No, right? no. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's interesting that you say that. Almost none of the dealers used. And if any of them did succumb to addiction, they were basically kicked out of the ring. They couldn't sell anymore. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and what brought you out of it? You're obviously much better because you're sitting here today looking good and healthy. Thank you. Yeah, I'm 18 months clean and sober. Mm-hmm. Um, so 18 months ago, basically, I was arrested for my sixth time. I got arrested six times between April and June of last year for various charges, mostly possession for sale of drugs because I was holding drugs for mm-hmm. the dealers. I also was arrested a couple of different times for violating the stay away order that the court had placed on me to stay away from the 300 block of Golden Gate Avenue, which of course I didn't because I just went right back to where I knew I could work and get drugs. Mm-hmm. Uh, what brought me here basically is that, you know, SFPD helped me out. You know, there was one officer I want to call um, give him a shout out, a shout out, uh, Rob Gilson. He, uh, Officer Rob Gilson, arrested me four of those six times. And the last time that he arrested me, he sat me down at the Tenderloin police station in handcuffs. And he said, look, I don't know what you're going through, but you're dirty. Your clothes are dirty. Whatever it is, if it's a midlife crisis, just clean yourself up and get back to your family. Mm-hmm. And um, I found out later on that the reason that he would kind of singled me out is that when I had made that decision to leave my wife and go out to the street, I was just gone. I stopped calling. Everything had stopped. And her and my kids were afraid for my life. And she called and filed a missing persons report at the SAPD Tenderloin Station and spoke with Officer Gilson on the phone Mm. and broke down to him on the phone. And so I found out that even then I had family that was worried about me. I wasn't alone. I just wanted to be alone at that point because my addiction had just overpowered all my judgment at that point. I'll be back with more with Thomas Wolfe after this break. I'm Heather Knight, and I'm back with Thomas Wolfe. So that sixth time you were arrested and you were um, taken to county jail for three months, you said, right? That's right. And then your brother actually agreed to bail you out? Right. So I'd gone to court a couple of different times and was trying to work out a deal with with my public defender, with the DA, and they lowered my bail. The court lowered my bail down and uh, to an amount that was affordable. And at that point, I just picked up the phone in jail and called my brother, who I hadn't spoken to in an entire year. And I told him where I was, and he knew. He'd heard from family, and I asked him for help, and he said, I'll bail you out on one condition that you go to rehab. And he had already known that the Salvation Army was doing rehab for free here in San Francisco, so he says, you know, I'll bail you out if you go there. Mm -hmm. And the next day, sure enough, he did. He bailed me out of jail and picked me up, and the following day, he took me to the Salvation Army ARC out on Valencia Street, and I started my journey in recovery at that point. What prompted you to finally make that call? Uh, When you lose everything and you have nothing left— Um, I remember sitting there with my public defender and he was talking to me about, well, you know, you're 48 years old. Maybe maybe you're kind of retired already. And I was like, you know, this can't be it. I'm only halfway through my life. My life can't possibly be over at this point. And then, you know, compound that with being in jail, having total loss of control, having lost everything, can't speak to my kids because my wife has placed a restraining order on me, rightfully so. Um, That was enough for me. Mm -hmm. And how was the withdrawal in jail? You know, it's interesting. In jail, they, they provided me with Suboxone uh, to kick the the withdrawals, but they only gave it to me for five days. They tapered it off after five days. And after that, I haven't touched a drug or drink since, um, which we could go into a long conversation mm-hmm. about that and, mm-hmm. and the use of Suboxone and how it's also a very highly addictive drug as mm-hmm. well. But you haven't used any drugs since that Just Just uh, ibuprofen and vitamins. (laughs) That's it. And how were you successful at rehab the first time? I've heard so many stories that it can take five, ten times. You know, I can't explain it except that I was ready. Mm -hmm. I was ready. I didn't want to go back out there. Uh, Towards the end in my addiction, I was starting to use fentanyl. Mm -hmm. 
And I'd seen three different people within a six-week period overdose on fentanyl and die right in front of me, Mm -hmm. right in front of me. And I didn't want that. Mm -hmm. I knew as hopeless as I felt, I knew I didn't want to die. And I knew I had, you know, two small kids at home that I wanted to see again. Um, So I just kind of took it literally one day at a time. Mm -hmm. And you're working at the Salvation Army now? I am. Uh As a case manager. I am. Mm -hmm. So I work in an SRO in San Francisco, uh, Salvation Army Railton Place. Mm -hmm. It's one of the biggest SROs in San Francisco. And from what I've seen, it's the nicest SRO in San Francisco. Mm -hmm. And I get the privilege of being of service to a lot of people that have struggled with uh, long-term homelessness and a lot of homeless veterans too. I mean, literally moving in off the street and we just try to help them improve their overall quality of life, help guide them towards employment if that's their goal with an overarching goal of finding a permanent housing solution. Mm-hmm. And things are also going better for you personally. They uh, are. <laughs> you're, you're in marriage counseling with your wife. That's correct. You told me that you spent Thanksgiving with your family. I did. Mm-hmm. I actually got to go home for those few days and my wife and I are working towards reconciliation that hopefully will happen uh, soon. Mm-hmm. Soon. And you're living with your parents in Bernal Heights? I am. I'm living with my parents in Bernal Heights. Um, you know, as you know, I am a native San Franciscan. Mm-hmm. I was born and raised pretty much in this town between here and Daly City. Mm-hmm. Um, so I consider that also my home. But, you know, the one thing that I didn't lose in my addiction was my house, but I credit that all to my wife. Mm-hmm. She found ways to to keep that house, and my family really stepped in to help to keep that roof over the heads of my kids, and I'm eternally grateful for that. Mm-hmm. And um, you've just been appointed to a new task force at City Hall, which will be charged with figuring out how to clear the tenderloin of drug dealing um, when you begin meeting in January. That's right. So now you're going to have an official um, platform in addition to this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) What is going to be the point you want to get across to City Hall? So, you know, I just want to make the point that drug addiction is an anchor to the street for people, okay? And if there's any way that we can look at maybe enforcing the laws differently for those that are selling as opposed to those that are using, then we might be able to start seeing a more effective uh, mitigation of this, of the availability of drugs on the street. What would be, if you were, say, the district attorney, what would be that difference in terms of how you'd handle users and dealers? I think right now in, in in the court system, from what I experienced, the dealers are treated the same as users. And the irony is that the dealer that got arrested with me the very first time that I got arrested did less time in jail than I did. That's just a fact. Hmm. Um, So I think we need to look at maybe stiffer penalties for those that are dealing Mm -hmm. uh, as an incentive for them to stop. And I think if the drugs become harder to find for individuals, you'll see people that that are migrating to this city from other parts of California and other parts of the country, and they are for the sole purpose of being homeless and using drugs with impunity, will start to dissipate when they realize that it's harder to get drugs here than maybe it is in their hometown. Because you found that, um, you told me, nine out of ten homeless people you met in the Tenderloin and Selma were addicted to drugs or alcohol, and that that it was very easy for them to find what they wanted. That's my experience, Mm -hmm. yes. And that's just my experience. And I know some some people will not agree with me Mm -hmm. uh, when I shout out that statistic, but that was my experience living on the streets of the Tenderloin. Mm -hmm. Almost everybody that I came across was struggling. I I knew father-son combinations that had come here from the East Coast that were both addicted to heroin living on the streets of San Francisco. I knew, um, you know, moms whose... Kids were in foster care. They were out there using. They were addicted to heroin in San Francisco. I knew a lot of people in rehab that 
would leave rehab before the six month uh, uh, program was complete because they just had to go out and use. They were from other counties that would just go out and live on the streets in San Francisco mm -hmm. and use. And they did that because they knew it was easy to get the drugs. Mm -hmm. The drugs were cheap, they were strong, and that if they sat there sticking a needle in their neck, that probably nothing was going to happen to them. Mm -hmm. And you said when you were using on the sidewalks that you would be offered drug paraphernalia that was clean or, you know, the big effort was harm reduction, which means um, make it a little bit safer to use drugs, but that nobody really talked to you about quitting or entering treatment or anything like that. Right. In the time that I was out there, I was never approached by anyone saying, hey, can I you know, help you get into treatment other than the police? Mm -hmm. That was it. Uh, and yes, there was a group one night that was walking down the street that had a cart and they were hang handing out drug kits. And each drug kit contained a clean rig, which is a needle, uh, a clean syringe. Mm -hmm. Um, and Brillo for your crack pipe and a push rod for your crack pipe, uh, cotton balls, the little cotton balls that you use to soak up the heroin in your cooker. They would include a cooker with it. These are some of the things that are also available at the needle exchange. And I'm not saying that I oppose that, that I'm against the needle exchange program. I know that it helps mitigate HIV and, and other bloodborne infectious diseases. But what I will say is that the amount of overdoses in San Francisco is, I think at this point, if I read the statistics correctly, is about equal to the new infections of these bloodborne diseases Wow! Uh, in San Francisco alone. So mm -hmm. I think that there just needs to be some balance mm -hmm. more than anything else. I'm not saying that that should be stopped, but I think that there just has to be, we, we have to look at creating some other kind of avenue that people can maybe use safely mm -hmm. or just stop altogether, which is what worked for me. Mm -hmm. Well, congratulations on your success in Becoming healthy and reuniting with your family. Thank you. Thank you. And I gave you the option of doing the lightning round or not. Okay. But you said you want to. I do. I okay. Do. Yep. <laughs> I'll test it's my, silly compared to what we've just talked about. I'll but te that's test okay. my San Francisco knowledge. So. <laughs> Where is your favorite place in San Francisco to get a burrito? To get a burrito, it would be uh, Taqueria San Jose on 24th and Mission. What do you order there? I order a super burrito with uh, Al Pastor. Mm-hmm. What is your favorite movie filmed in San Francisco? Uh, that would be Star Trek Four: The Voyage Home. Oh, Rome. my colleague Peter Hartlaub will be very happy to hear that. <laughs> um, he loves the scene on the Golden Gate Bridge yep, in the Muni bus. Um, what is the last book you read? The last book I read, I'm trying to remember the name. It was by Jimmy Carter. Oh, it's called After the White House by Jimmy mm -hmm. Carter. Mm -hmm. And what was your first concert? Uh, my very first concert was Marvin Gaye at the Circle Stars Theater in 1983 in San Carlos. Nice. What is the biggest change in San Francisco since you were born? You've been here the whole time. Uh, the biggest change? Well, there's been a ton of development south of market, which is great. And there's a ton of people making a ton of money in the tech industry. Mm -hmm. uh, and at the same time, you're seeing this huge socioeconomic disparity with all the rent uh, going up so high and people that are get, making $20, $25 an hour unable to just live in San Francisco anymore. That has all gone away. Mm -hmm. uh, and then couple that with the availability of illicit drugs in quantities that have never been seen before. And I know this isn't the 60s where people were just taking LSD and smoking weed. This mm -hmm. is heroin. This is fentanyl. It's killing people every day. Mm -hmm. And it's here and it's going unabated on our streets. Yeah. That's the biggest change. Okay, that is a big change. Where did you go to high school? I went to Westbourne High School in Daly City. Mm -hmm. Great. And lastly, what is something you make sure to squeeze into your busy day? Uh, I, 
always talk to my kids、Aww. every single day. That's great. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining me today. It was good to talk to you. Thank you. It was my pleasure. Thanks to Thomas Wolf for joining me today, to King Kaufman and Karen Creighton for producing this episode, and to you for listening. San Francisco City Insider is part of the San Francisco Chronicle Podcast Network. Audrey Cooper is the editor in chief. If you like this show, please subscribe and give us a quick review wherever you get your podcasts. Support San Francisco City Insider and a lot of great journalism with a print or digital subscription to the San Francisco Chronicle. Find out more at sfchronicle.com slash subscribe. <laughs>